0: This episode of the Adult in the Room podcast includes frank discussion of criminal sexual acts against minors that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me closing out 2021 after a couple of weeks of abject insanity including uh, family and presents, cooking, snow days, Christmas. It was wonderful. In short, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial wrapped up this week. We'll talk with Joe Nierman. He's a New York litigator who spent nearly every day watching that trial in the Southern District of New York courthouse and he'll explain why we should care about this case and what happened beyond the headlines. A bit of info on these shots you're being told that you can't live without and what can be done instead. I'll go to my medicine cabinet. Also, I've listened to more than 30 books this year. I mean, I know it's just I'm not doing like a who I read more than you did because I listened to them on audiobook, which I think is the best way to listen to books. But that might just be me as a longtime audiobook file as well as a producer of audiobooks. But... I've listened to more than 30. Uh, It all started when I planned to do a PJ Media piece about my summer romance with Mitch Rapp. He's the lead character, the protagonist in the Vince Flynn and now Kyle Mills franchise, and everything grew from there. I mean, I just listened to every single book in that franchise, uh, most for a second or third time. I delved into, because I was listening to audiobooks, and I go, you know, I really want to... Well, I delved into the biography of blues singer, blues pioneer, historical figure B.B. King, The King of Blues, the name of that book, almost through the third book of Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago. I'm still getting through the wonderful biography of Frederick Douglass, Dan Brown's Digital Fortress, meh. Andy McCarthy's ball of collusion against the again about the plot to rig the 2016 election. It was really wild and destroy Trump's presidency. You know, I followed that story so closely, wrote about it for PJ Media, did lots of uh, side reading myself. But even I learned something in that book. It was a tremendous book. If you don't know that story, if you don't know some of the ins and outs, the legalities and or legalities, as the case may be, um, give that. Book a listen, listen to Dave Grohl's memoir, The Storyteller. Really good. He he reads very well. Robert Kennedy's book about Anthony Fauci. Wow, 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 wow. He doesn't read his own book. Uh, and just FYI, whew. I read the uh, George Washington biography again it was really really good i gave hillbilly elegy another listen revisited this town a funny look at the people who are in power in washington washington dc and um read for you raven's resurrection which is still in post-production soon to be available on audiobook and i'm reading currently the latest john d trudeau book soon to come out on audio broken oath the raven novel and i recommend all of them of course naturally so Joe Biden won the election in 2020 with the help of Mark Zuckerberg, COVID election rule changes and lots of cash. And he did so on the promise that he would end the pandemic. He's going to quash COVID. He's going to get rid of it. Um, He didn't want to lock down the people. He wanted to lock down the virus. And we knew that couldn't happen, but some people took him at his word and voted for him anyway. And um, in my estimation, that, that was not the smartest thing in the world. But nevertheless, here we are. And so now with lockdowns, Joe Biden mandates that are probably illegal and much more. We start 2022 with more questions than ever about what is happening to this country, in this world, and this pandemic. And I just want to affirm you on something. The reason you are so uneasy about all of this stomach stuff coming at you is because the people who've been telling you this fairy tales about this pandemic have been sandbagging. They've been sandbagging their front-loading their happy stories and forgetting the rest of the story of the pandemic. And not just about what it stands for, what it is, and how likely you are to get it and go to the hospital and die from it. That's all been buried. But in addition, the the fact that you could actually treat yourself in advance, take prophylaxis, and um, also be able to treat yourself before you have to go to the hospital. And if you treat yourself before you have to go to the hospital, you probably don't even have to go to the hospital. But, you know, fingers crossed. River don't rise. So you're not being told any of it because they want to sell vaccines. And they've... Redefine vaccines, I think, three times during this pandemic. And it is frustrating and it's galling. And it's, yes, it's, it's slightly frightening because you wonder why, why? Well, I wanted to share something with you before I got to Joe Neerman's interview with me on the Ghislaine Maxwell story, because you're uneasy because people have been just really lying to you. And the president has come out and said, you know, all that COVID stuff I said, you know how he's going to vanquish the disease and all that rot. Yeah, well, this week he came out and said, eh, you know, never mind. He has issued edicts about mandates for small business, for the military, for healthcare workers working in Medicare facilities, which is to say, almost all of them. And he's done nothing but do top-down edicts. Now he's discovered federalism, and he's saying, well, you know, I think the governors, you know, I'm looking at my approval ratings, not and. He's going, I I think I'm going to have to lateral all this stuff off to the governors, which, uh, of course, some of the governors have been doing that anyway, for better or for worse. Texas, better. Florida, better. California, worse. And he's issued these edicts about mandates, but now he says, well, uh, I guess not. That doesn't mean he's going to cease the mandates. No, those are still being litigated. A couple of times they've been appealed and stopped until such time that they can fully litigate this in a full federal appeals court. So we'll see how that works out. But we know already that he can't stop the pandemic. But he can control what he does about it, and he can control letting us live our lives. But he fails to do that. Now he's saying, oh, um, you know, as I say, I've seen the approval numbers, and I'm going to do something different. I'm going to give it back to the governors. Well, they've already taken it back. They don't even listen to Joe anymore unless it's to f- sue him <laughs> to stop these mandates. But this week he announced that, you know, there's there's no national approach and he discovered federalism. And I don't know about you, but I just laughed out loud when he said it. But the one thing I need you to know is that the backstory for why Joe and his buddies are pushing so hard for the shots. They call them vaccines, although they've redefined what vaccine means in order to accommodate these shots. And he's, why is he pushing them for kids? Why is he doing that? When historically it is unethical to give experimental drugs to kids like this on a wide basis. And it is why why three FDA, I think it was three, maybe two or three FDA officials left the FDA after the provisional approval for uh, F, or, uh, the Pfizer vaccine was announced. They said no. And the kids' proclamation, oh, you have to give these to kids. In order to get this, you have to know this. Remember, Joe made the announcement that the FDA approval for permanent use of the Pfizer shot. I think that was last August. And I want you to know something you may already know, but um, I want to affirm you in this. You still can't get that shot in the United States. That's not a fairy tale. That's a fact. And the way you know this is just in your own life. Look at the papers, go to the pharmacy, and you would know that if there is a fully functioning shot that has gotten approval under the FDA and it's available the other shots under emergency approval would have to be removed by law. That's right, have to be removed by law, fact, not fairy tale. In fact, the feds are being sued over this very thing right now. But here's what else you need to know about it. Right now, under Trump, all of the emergency use vaccines were given total legal liability, uh, immunity from liability. And that's what happened when President Trump was. In the Oval Office. This you know. But here's something else. The only way an approved shot could come to market and be sold in the United States and be given legal liability immunity is if it's part of a vaccine protocol for children. And that's not a fairy tale either. In order for Pfizer to get total immunity, liability immunity, for its shot, which has all kinds of problems, not least of which is it doesn't protect people from getting COVID. It doesn't stop, stop the disease. Uh, it does for some people and all hail to them. Good for them. They have to have a kid's protocol. That's why they're pushing this vaccine for kids. That's why they're doing Even though it's not, it's not necessary, there's like a 0% chance of dying from COVID if you're a kid right? You think to yourself, well, why are they doing that? Well, they're doing it not because it's good for the kids, because they suffer more from the shots than they do from COVID. They're doing it so they get immunity from liability. That's amazing. Okay. Say, uh, let's get the rundown from my talk with Joe Nierman, good logic, L-A-W-G-I-C. And uh, for obvious reasons, the galen maxwell discussion is not kid friendly just so you know another reason that'll get us shunned on social media as well but but hey you got to know the truth right the trial of galen maxwell is over and now only the sentencing remains but what about this case? What is the importance of this case? Why were details of it, meaningful, meaningful details, so hard to come by? Why was the case so strictly constrained that the most explosive allegations involving some of the most famous people in the world were not even brought up? What was the meaning behind the charges brought against this woman who was the former girlfriend and high-ranking executive of Jeffrey Epstein's, and what was her role in his sickening trafficking operation, and why was disgraced FBI James Comey's daughter involved? And for some of those answers, I'm going over to Joe Neiman, who's known on his YouTube channel as Good Logic, L-A-W-G-I-C. He's a litigator, and he's been in the courthouse every day for this trial. And Joe, welcome to the Adults in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft.
1: Thank you so very much for having me.
0: Well, can we start with some background Just to to make sure people know, because I think that this case hasn't been as well watched, I think, as it should have been and certainly had the possibility of being because of the media uh, attention to it. So who was Ghislaine Maxwell and why was she on trial after all these years?
1: So Ghislaine Maxwell is a British woman, daughter of... um, I think he's a newspaper magnate, Robert Maxwell, who was a fairly wealthy individual out of based out of Great Britain, and she was the youngest of many children. I think they had eight or nine kids, and they were they were part of the um, upper crust in Great Britain, and she became associated. She was she was a socialite and she became associated with Jeffrey Epstein, introduced to him at some point. And she was had a very unusual relationship with him, which was both business... and She really mixed business and pleasure with him. In the early going of her relationship, we're, we're, look, we're, look, we're looking back here into the early 1990s. Mm-hmm. So it's literally 30 years back that we're looking back here. And she was... At the time Jeffrey Epstein was not worth the money that he's worth now i mean i th- I think he would probably have more money than than you or I had, but he he wasn't worth the eight billion b he, he certainly was well on his way there he had he had been he had spent a lifetime basically conning people out of money. How he ever amassed the billions that he amassed is a mystery to the world to this day I mean, we know that he ultimately ended up conning Les Wexner, the owner of victoria's secret um out of what he claims is half a billion dollars or a billion wow. dollars, and we also know that he became associated with another. But prior to that, he became associated with another individual who was who went to jail for running a Ponzi scheme. Ponzi scheme. His name is is, is, is not slip is not is not. I'm missing his name in my okay. brain at this moment. That's all right. But this guy, this guy who we ripped off. Is like the master conman. He ripped off that guy himself had ripped off half a billion dollars from others, and Jeffrey Epstein ended up walking away with the money and getting out right before the feds came in. And the feds came in, and this guy and this and this guy went to jail and he ended up seemingly with the money. He was so to understand Jeffrey Epstein, you have to understand he was not merely a con man. He apparently was masterful at it. In fact, if you watch any of these specials about Jeffrey Epstein, you know this this individual was interviewed and he's like, "I can't, I can't deny that. If I had met him again today, after to knowing anything about him, I might fall for it again. He's that good. He's really, he was really that good. I mean, obviously Epstein's gone now. According to most most people, believe that he, that he's that he's dead. Some people question that even now really? about him. Oh, well, there are people. There are people who question that element of Jeffrey Epstein's life. That's how confusing this whole story is. Only I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that he's alive. I'm certainly not saying that. Many people question whether he killed himself. I do not believe that he killed himself. Oh, I don't
0: either. Does anybody believe that?
1: Does anyone
0: really believe that? I mean, I don't know. And no
1: one. No one's willing to say publicly that they're that they believe. They believe he killed himself, unless you're speaking from the media, in which case, they pretend to be ignorant about it. Uh, but, Stephen but,
0: Stephen Hoffenberg, I think, is the name of the the uh, investor yes. that you were talking about. Yes, Pounds Stephen Escape. Hoffenberg
1: is the is the one he ripped off. Towers Financial. And, yes, it, and his whole life was literally a scam. He got jobs by claiming that he had a resume, which was. Pure fiction. He's like, oh yeah, I went to MIT, never did, and like no one checked up on him. This is going back to the eighties. Jeffrey Epstein. It's really kind of he's a, a look. Don't no one should get me wrong. He's I think he's the sickest one of the sickest human beings to walk the planet in the last in the last fifty years, and I'm sure he's burning deep in the bowels of hell. But. I mean, as far as his ability to con society, it's remarkable, and a lot—at least a lot of speculation—because ultimately, in two thousand eight, after his exploits with young girls becomes exposed to the to the public, and and there's all sorts of public indictments. The next thing we know, he ends up working out this sweetheart deal, which he basically had the lightest prison sentence imaginable. Yes, so much so that instead of getting Life in prison, he ended up getting a sentence of a year and a half that ends up he ended up serving 14 months and he wasn't even in prison. That's the thing. He, he literally was able to walk out of his cell, go work in an office, and then come back and sleep in the prison cell at night. And he did that for 14 months. And in exchange for this harsh sentence that he accepted upon mm-hmm. himself in his plea deal, he did not simply get exoneration for his crimes. He got the government to say, we uh, signed a non-prosecution agreement that they won't go after his co-conspirators with his five women, who including Ghislaine Maxwell. Who he he ended up protecting them from immunity, so from he get, sorry he ended up get, granting them immunity yes. from any prosecution for serving as co-conspirator in his crime. So let's focus now on who Ghislaine Maxwell is in this story. So she walks in, in in the early 1990s, and you know Juan Alessi, who's the house, who's the house manager for Maxwell's for Epstein's house down in West in. In, West Palm um, Beach in, in Palm Beach, yeah.
0: No, not West Palm Beach, Palm Beach, right? Palm Beach. Yeah, yeah, you Palm said it right. Beach. I said it wrong. I just want because West Palm Beach is supposedly a dump. Palm Beach is where all the rich people live,
1: right? Something so like that. <laughs> and it and it really is. It really it, from, if you hear the testimony of of some of the people who came in there, the difference between them, like crossing over that bridge, it's literally like it's like you're walking out from black and white into like the land of Oz. Com, yes, in, yes, between yes. The two neighborhoods. All of
0: a sudden, it's color.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. So Ghislaine comes into the to his house and and Juan Alessis tells of the earliest meeting that that we know of at trial where he's like she came in and said that I am the lady of the house and I'm his wow. girlfriend and I'm your boss and you're going to do whatever it is that I say. And and he said that his relationship which had been with Epstein went from being um friendly and cordial into being very um into being very controlling and that she basically he painted her as Cruella de and that she's you know constantly berating him she calls him his name is Juan he, she calls him John I know that uh, <laughs> Robert Grullo always made a big joke about how she can't even call him by his, his proper name and she gives a list of rules and these rules are Jeffrey doesn't like to be looked in the eye you'll never to speak don't speak don't you're not until unless spoken to. You see nothing. You hear nothing. Wow. You say nothing. That happens in the house here. When you, all these instructions for how the house is supposed to be run, because he's overseeing the house and he's and how the cars are supposed to be clean and which type of fabric softener we're we, we're supposed to have and make sure that it's downy and it's tied and make sure that the scent is changed every two months. We don't want to have the same scented clothing. And she would write emails. She has, there was actually introduced emails of her complaining. About just how completely awful he is that she can't get the right fabric softener from this guy. I mean, she was really just everything you would imagine. I mean, Devil Wears Prada. In fact, even in closing arguments, just to make the point, Laura Menninger, who's part of the defense team, gave closing arguments. And she addressed the white elephant in the room which is when she made the claim saying, Look, you might look at my clients as if she's Cruel DeVille and Devil Wears Prada all rolled into one, but that doesn't mean she's a sexual predator. And that was her point. And, but I, I thought it was a good point because anyone who was listening to this trial looked at her as if she was a grade A bitch. and yeah. and, and by all accounts, she was. And what's interesting, though, is she could be very charming to those who she wanted to do her bidding. so she, felt she had to Yes. And in her social circles, everyone said that she was like this charming butterfly. So it's like she really was this two-faced type of personality is what we're is is the is the visual that we're getting here. That to those who she basically wants to use or benefit from, she is like, "Ah, ha ha, so fun, so everything's so light. And like when she turns to 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 dress the staff, like she's like, you know, kicking them in the nuts. So (laughs) so she and she basically describes herself as being a girlfriend and that relationship between them. And there's a lot of pictures to document of them in these loving embraces and all these different things of that nature. Yeah, so I that, think I
0: heard on one of your, one of your uh, live streams at uh, Good Logic that there were something on the order of more than 40 photos of them together and how bizarre it was that they showed so many photos of them together. It was very honestly.
1: Odd. And honestly, uh, that's 40 out, out of 40,000. Now, in those thousands, there was almost, a, almost assuredly tons of pornographic material. I would I would because because they're binders uh, which it. are label which are labeled by different girls and things of that nature and and but in among there were these pictures of them um, being like the you know the looking like the most playful doting couple one could possibly imagine yeah. and 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 some of them are sexually a little bit weird like her giving foot massages while having while holding his feet up to her chest to her chest. You know, and and things of, of that nature. It certainly, set there was certainly there's a certain sexual overtone throughout the house that she helped decorate has weird sexual overtones. Also, like there's just lots of there's very there's a lot of fixation on the young female nude form mm-hmm. in the house. And this some is of the, the Palm Beach there. house, right? This is the Palm Beach house. Yes, so. Which, by the way, this is most of his activity took place on an island that he purchased in the late '90s, early 2000, which they, they end up call, calling it Little Saint James or Little Saint Jeffy, depending on who was talking. And that's where that, that's what everyone knows as Lolita Island. But there was plenty of activity going on in this Palm Beach residence, also. So um, that's Ghislaine Maxwell. I mean, she has this relationship with him. Now I will mm-hmm. tell you that she doesn't. She ends up seemingly growing apart on a on a personal relationship in the very late 90s still working for him into Weird. the early 2000s and then it seems as if her relationship sort of uh, she she meets a new man in the early 2000s and that um she ends up who she ended up marrying and so but she's still working for Jeffrey Epstein at that point until until around I think two thousand four two thousand five. It's not clear mm-hmm. from at least what we saw during the trial when she when she severed the business relationship.
0: Okay, let's 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 go to another. Did you finish that point? Because I think we're going to yeah, get yeah. to it. A I little was bit. wrapped up right
1: there. I know, okay. I, know I roll sometimes for oh. too long. So. Oh no no
0: no, you're fine. Um, when Jeffrey okay. Epstein, the operator of the Lolita Express and and uh, the owner of Pedophile Island or whatever other euphemisms piece people have come up with them come up with to describe that private island he owned. Um, when he came up during the trial, how was he depicted? Was he considered to be the monster that he undoubtedly was? Uh, and yes. how did she fit into all this?
1: Yes. A lot of people complained, in fact, that this felt too much like a trial of Jeffrey Epstein. Ah. And not enough fixation on Ghislaine Maxwell. And <clears throat> that sort of became an ongoing theme to try and figure out okay, how are they tying the, How are they making this about Ghislaine? Where does Ghislaine fit into this whole yeah, after story? Yeah,
0: she's the one on trial, after all. Yeah, <clears throat>
1: right, right. And uh, but much of the trial was about you know the relationships and, and things that they that these girls did. And there were four victims who testified, so um, and these the, the names that you the four victims the first one come came in under the pseudonym of Jane. Second one came in under the pseudonym of Kate. Third one came in under her actual first name, Carolyn, no last name given. And the fourth one was Annie Farmer. So when we're looking at the context here of hearing from the victims themselves, we have Jane, Kate, Carolyn, and Annie. And their stories are very different from each other. These, there's, 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 and the, the commonality comes in really with respect to Glenne. As far as her being a groomer, yeah. And what's a groomer? Well, we had Dr. Rakio come on the stand after after Jane took the stand, and told her story. We had Dr. Rakio come in for the state and explain what a groomer is, and basically explaining how those who are interested in in and serving on on as those who are predators and want to have ongoing illicit activity with minors. That there's a five step process to to finding your tar- to and preparing your target in order to continue that relationship. So as I recall this was going back to the early parts of the trial. So at first you want to target your you want to target the right person. Someone who's alone, who's isolated, who's dealing with some tough times, preferably no father figure in the home, financial struggles, um, things of that nature. Secondly, the second stage is you want to find a basis to isolate them. Give a a good explanation as to why you're investing a great deal of time with them and why it is that it makes sense for you to spend spent to be investing hours a day because you're a cub scout leader or you're running a camp or you're you know for you're you're yeah. you're your, your, and that's been basically like she was and she and what was interesting is that she was this woman was a blind witness Meaning, she didn't interview any of these girls. She hadn't watched the trial. She didn't know anything about these girls. She's just talking about how predators operate in general. Oh, interesting! And as she was talking, you could sort of see the check marks here of the steps that Ghislaine had taken when it came to um, dealing with in, with Jane's story. Wow! So it was really a very it was very powerful way of going through this because Jane had told over how she first met Ghislaine. Saw her walking her dog, and when she was in this camp for gifted for gifted kids, and that she came over, she's eating ice cream. She paints the most innocent picture. I'm sitting with my friends eating ice cream, and I see Ghislaine walk by with this this cute little Yorkie dog, and we come on. She comes over and she's talking to us and we're playing with it and then later and she introduces us to Jeffrey Epstein and he starts telling us how special I am, and can, and can I uh, interrupt
0: you for a second? Yeah, go That's, ahead. Is that the musical camp that where Yitzhak? Yes, Girlman... Interlochen. 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 Yeah, it's Interlocking.
1: Interlocking. Interlocking. Yeah, it's in Michigan. So, um, so when, and feel free to interrupt anytime because I'll just just go on and on. That's so fine. she had a. Um, so then she then then after she comes back to Palm Beach to to her home there so she ends up um, to in west she's in, she was in west palm beach she was on the poor side that and she described that her life had tremendous poverty and they're the living in these very you know in some f- friends pool house and that her father had died recently so this is all fitting into her being alone her father had died of cancer like you know months earlier and That after she met them that one time, you know, when she met them and she sat down with them, they start saying, you know, I think I know your mother. I think you know your father. What's your mother's um, phone number? I'd like to reach out to her. So they get her mother's phone number. And six weeks later, in the beginning of the school year, she's 14 years old at the time, bear in mind. So she gets um, her mother gets a phone call saying, hey, you know, do you remember meeting these people? These people called said they met you. And it took her a second time. She's like, oh, yeah. She's like. So, mother's like, Well, they they want us to come over and like have, um, join them for tea. So, let's go. And then apparently she went, she goes out there. And she claimed that she met Ghislaine and Jeffrey there, started walking around that, looking around the house. And that they, they started talking about how talented they thought Jane was, and how special she was, and how wonderful she was, and how they give, um, scholarships to, to girls like, to, to young kids like Jeffrey. Like, like, like Jane and started having her come over to the house more and more. According to Jane's testimony, she sta- she started coming more and more. Mother never came in ever again. Hmm. And that Galena's around her all the time and everything is very sexual. Everything is like the constantly by the pool. She's taking off her clothing and talking to her about boys and wow, she's giving massages and telling uh, to to Jeffrey and showing, showing uh Jane how she's supposed to be giving these massages and making it seem as if all this is really normal when she's 14 years old and then the next thing she knows she's in Jeffrey's pool house and he basically yanks down his sweatpants he's not wearing anything underneath it and he tells her you know I want you to give me a massage and he has her like straddle his legs And just give a massage. She's basically, this is her first contact ever. She's giving a shoulder massage while he is pleasuring himself. So, and then he finishes and he pushes her aside. And she's like, I don't know what happened there. She was like, she's like, I was so confused and embarrassed. And I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. The whole thing was just very awkward and weird. And then the next time that she described it, she was basically... You know, everyone was laughing and giddily, you know, they were, she was being taken upstairs to Jeffrey's room. And she's like, the clothes started coming off and they're laughing and playing with each other on the bed. And then they encouraged me to come onto the bed and start taking my clothing off. And then, you know, they went, they went to town. So Poor kid. basically the whole grooming process here is that you is in short. You target your person, you isolate them, then you start with lies and manipulation, telling them how great things are going to be for them, how, how special they are, how unique they are. And then you want to start normalizing sexuality mm. that make it like this is totally, totally normal. And everything we're doing here is completely that's – what, that's what people do. And everyone walks around with no clothes on when they buy a pool. That's how we do it out here on, mm. this, side the, on this side of the bridge. You know, this is you want to fit in with the upper crust. In that case, this is this is like just what what, you know, women do. This is what they do for men. And that's what she basically and then after the fifth step is dominion controls that you can continue that abuse for extended periods of time. So it also says they're less likely to tell anyone and that dominion could be exerted either physically or through money. Which is what we see happens, that they start give, they start shoving money into her hand left and right. And this is a, woman, this is a girl who describes herself as not having much money.
0: Mm-hmm. Maxwell it's... had the Dream Team defending her.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: they got plenty of evidence tossed from the trial. What was tossed and how important was that, do you think? Because I think it it's plays into that art and all that other stuff. That black book with people with the binders full of girls. I mean, all that was tossed, right?
1: No, no, it was not. To- that was not tossed. They fought very hard on it. They fought very hard to get, say, that um, the... So the, the, the key evidence... There was the, only, the most important piece of evidence from the, from the perspective of the prosecution that did get tossed was little girl costumes yeah. that apparently were, were located in the FBI raid and that they wanted to get in. And this was a screw-up by the state. <coughs> Excuse me. The screw-up they made is you have to show... That there's some sort of um, that there's relevance and there's foundation. You know, so you need foundation and relevance in order to get testimony in, to get hard ev- to get like evidence submitted and accepted by the court. So you need to show that this foundation that this is what what you're purporting it to be, and also you need to show that it's relevant to the case. So the problem they had is, so they obviously want to show his fetish for schoolgirls. And this clearly was a big part of who he of of his sexual persona. And if you from the testimony you heard, Galen was constantly saying how his, his, his that was she would frequently describe it as being insatiable, saying she can't meet his sexual needs alone. So, and a large part of this is about schoolgirls. So the second victim to testify, Kate, after she came up, she told her whole story about how she this was pure Galen. Like, Ghislaine found her, met with her a few times, she 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 idolized Ghislaine as a woman who was living a life that she was hoping she could live one day. She said, when you met her, she was very impressive as far as being put together and great personality and really and, and very popular, very wealthy, like a real... like." She's like, this is the life I want to live, and if I can form a relationship with Ghislaine, I will... Because she can be a role model for me to grow into being that kind of woman. So that's what Kate's objective was. So Ghislaine used that, had it brought her over to her own house in London. And they met in Paris. And then she... And when Kate was on vacation there and then when they're back in London, Ghislaine brings her to her own house in in London and then brings her back and says, you know, you need to meet someone who could really help you out in your development. Jeffrey Epstein. I'm going to bring you back here for him. And the next time she's brought back to the house, same house there. Now Jeffrey's there. And as soon as she's meeting Jeffrey, she's being told. You know, Ghislaine is like, Jeff, you have to see how strong she is. Dig your hands into his shoulders, Kate. She's much stronger than she looks. And she's like, you know, feeling him in this playful sort of way. of Like, see how strong she is? Isn't that great? And then that's her whole interaction with them. But Ghislaine is the one who's grooming there. The next phone call from her, she gets a phone phone call from Ghislaine where she says, so Ghislaine calls me up and she said, Jeffrey is here and his masseuse canceled and we were thinking, you have such strong hands. Mm. Would you mind stepping in and filling in the void for that? And just being his masseuse today? And she's and the prosecution went on on direct here is like, did you have any experience at all as masseuse? She said no. I said, okay, please continue. Yeah. So then she said she gets to the house and she's led upstairs and by lane she's never she's met this guy once, you know, and and the next thing she knows, Ghislaine's standing in the doorway, and she says, have fun. And she she sees there's Jeffrey wearing nothing but a robe. And he takes off the robe and lays down on the table, and she just starts giving a massage. And then she said, I'm massaging him for 45 minutes, and then he rolls over, and that's when the party began. And the next thing is, she started touching her, and and the next thing you know, she basically was, in, was indoctrinated to the Epstein life. She's she has no idea she comes out and Ghislaine is like so how was it wasn't it fun and she starts joking about boys and their weenies like she's at this she's at this point in life I think 16 years old Mm. and she starts she starts talking about you know boys and their weenies and to a 16 year old you have to realize this is a woman I'm idolizing she's she's someone who knows how to swim in these waters you know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. And she she's the she's living a life that I want to live, and she's basically showing me this is what I need to do if I want to live that type of lifestyle. And then you know, and that this is totally normal and joking around. Where where what what thirty five year old woman refers to weenies unless you're trying to make yourself same younger. Mm-hmm. And that's what these girls described. That Galen was the older sister role whenever yeah. Jeffrey was around and always fixing how do we please Jeffrey what do you think Jeffrey would like this that she said we came I came downstairs the next time and I'm introduced to another girl and Ghislaine is like isn't she pretty don't you think Jeffrey's gonna like her like this is like become like like a normal thing like let's just find more and more pretty girls to surround around Jeffrey and dig their hands into her into him so it's very you see a, a pattern here and then Juan Alessi, the house manager, describes how he's driving Ghislaine Maxwell around Florida from Jupiter to Boca Raton to every massage parlor. And Ghislaine would get out and basically scout around trying to find new masseuses she could bring back to their house, to bring back to the mansion. This is how dedicated she was to finding women. She was working really hard to find these girls. I mean, literally, think about it. Going from one massage parlor to another. She said, we went to massage parlor schools. And she would go in there and she would basically try to find new girls to bring to it, to, to, to Jeffrey. And at a certain point, they gave up on doing that. And they just started finding high schoolers. And, uh. start, and they started, well, by the time we get to Carolyn's story, and this is later, when Galen is almost on her way out the door. But she ended up setting up a pyramid scheme. Really? Where you see, yeah. Where we see Carolyn, how does Carolyn come into this? A third one. Well, she is later. She's in the 2000s. The first two girls we hear about, they're in the 90s. Well, in 2001, Carolyn says that, so I had my, my boyfriend, and they called him Sean, and then there was this guy, Tony, and this other girl, Virginia, and Virginia came to me and said, you know, you want to make some money massaging an old guy, and we'll make $300. And I was like, sure. Are you kidding me? $300? Yeah. Yes. Let's do it. And they get in the car and they drive to this pink mansion. And this girl, Virginia, whose last name happens to be Roberts, says, let's go on up. And she said, I come in there and I meet this British woman there. And she tells me her name and I can't pronounce her name. I don't know how to pronounce it. So I just called her Maxwell. And she said to Virginia, Virginia said, this is my friend. She said, Okay, take her upstairs and show her what to do. And I get up there, and we're giving a massage to his legs for 45 minutes, and then he rolls over. And Oh, before that, when I get up there, so Virginia takes off all her clothes. And she says to me, take off all of your clothes. And I said, I'm not taking off all my clothes. So she took off her outer clothing, left on her underwear, and they're giving massage. Now she's, at the time... I don't know, 13, 14? She doesn't even remember how old she was. She just said she was around 13 or 14. She, she had dropped out of school in seventh grade, Carolyn. She, mm. I mean, her whole life was miserable.
0: Wow. Like,
1: really miserable. And there was a stark contrast when you saw her compared to the first two. Because the first two had very successful careers in the wake of Jeffrey Epstein. So then it makes them, you know, you sort of feel happy for them that their lives weren't crushed by Jeffrey Epstein. Mm. But at the same time, for the purposes of prosecution, they're not very sympathetic Right. Because, you know, you look at these are women who are living lives that any person would dream of having. Jane is a soap opera star for 22 years. She's, you know, she's a really beautiful woman to this day. You know, 25 years later, she's still a very beautiful woman. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Kate, similarly, went on to become an international supermodel. Wow. So, you know, she was 16 at the time. That doesn't mean she wasn't abused. But my point is that she's someone who anyone looks at her, and she was asked on Cross, aren't you an international supermodel? And she's like, no. So Bobby Sternheimer says, well, um, did you appear in magazines in England? Yes. Did you appear in magazines in Italy? Yes. Did you appear in magazines in France? Yes. (laughs) On the cover of these magazines? Yes. It's like, okay, you're not an international supermodel? Okay.
0: Can I ask something here? Uh Did the uh, Someone has sent me. An old 60 Minutes uh, Diane, uh, uh, what's her, I can't remember. Sawyer? Yeah, Sawyer piece about a guy who was a modeling agency person with whom some of the top modeling agencies in New York worked to get her girls placed with him. And he had a connection with Epstein. I think he was providing, he was providing, quote unquote, models uh, for 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 Epstein, did you mm-hmm. did any of that come in? Is that a true story, or um, or is that just somebody's surmise, sort of connecting the
1: dots? I will tell you with respect to Kate, you know, the super, the international supermodel, <clears throat> she said that her boyfriend is the one who introduced her to Ghislaine, and her boyfriend was basically, it's it's unclear what the whole thing is was happening here what the boyfriend was was really boyfriend there's a pre- professional relationship because he he comes across like he is a modeling agent that she's he met that the boyfriend introduces Kate to Glen for the purposes of establishing this whole relationship that's ah. happening here so and and there also was it that french uh, dude Yeah I mean this was in France
0: Okay so it's probably the same guy
1: It Ugh. probably is it probably is the same individual we never heard his name from what I recall Okay so I don't I don't know the name of, of that person, but um, right. So there was, so so basically right. So these first two women were was, they basically had phenomenal lives at, in the wake of Jeffrey Epstein. Carolyn did not. Her life started in misery and to this day looks miserable. Oh. Like she, when, even when she was four years old, she described a um, sexual abuse from her own grandfather. Oh. as a four year old, perfect candidate for the, her. Yeah, exactly. Like the most trouble. Her mother is an alcoholic on, and on drugs. She drops out of school in seventh grade. She's hanging out with her friends, doing marijuana every day, and then and then Virginia comes along and says, um, "You want to go? You want to go uh, make some money?" And she said, "Sure." And she said that in the middle of this massage here, this first massage, where she's wearing her underwear, Virginia is not wearing anything. Forty-five minutes in, he rolls over. He's, she said, Virginia jumped up popped up on the table straddled him and just started bouncing up and down on him and that she's and so what did you do carolyn i just sat back on the couch and just watched like horrified
0: Mm.
1: and but then she's like but then when i left there's three hundred dollar bills on the table there and i said let's come back and and The way this scheme worked, because I told you it was a Ponzi, it was like sort of a pyramid scheme they had here. Virginia, and what Carolyn explained is that she ended up not just making $300 every time she came there, but she was encouraged to bring other classmates, Mm -hmm. other girls her age, to come, and that for every girl she would bring, she would get an additional $300, so if you uh-huh. if you come yourself, you get three hundred. If you bring a friend, you get six hundred dollars. This is how much money that is to them. You have to understand that he's like he's explaining. We're from West Palm Beach. They're in Palm Beach, right? Palm Beach is the wealthiest side, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's like, you know, he was asked. So her boyfriend came and corroborated this entire story, Sean. Mm-hmm. So her former, her former boyfriend who ended up becoming her baby daddy. So he, um, he comes and he corroborates everything that, she's, that she says. And when he's about the money and how she comes out with all these $100 bills and he's asked, how do you remember that it was $100 bills? He said, because we had to cash him before we crossed the bridge. You can't take that money into a store. No one will take that $100 bill on Get West it. Palm Beach. Yeah. You have you have cash on Palm Beach. <laughs> There's like no stores that's going to cash that. Wow. So we knew we had to break the money there. But, and, I mean, the boyfriend, Sean, he's pretty much a pimp. Because he was like, describing how he brought Carolyn and other girls there also. And apparently, and when Carolyn was asked one question, this to me was under her direct the most heartbreaking question and what made her seem so completely genuine. And I will tell you this, the jury believed Carolyn more than anyone else. And I can prove it based on their verdict. If you'd like me, we'll walk you through that. But, yeah, and to me, to me, the reason she was so credible, but was so, what well, was that? it wasn't simply because you see her being beaten down by life. She's someone you look at and sympathize with. She looks like today, like, like her, her jaw, like she doesn't have, you know, she's missing teeth, you know, and Mm -hmm. she's, she looks like she's 50. When she's actually, if you do the math, she can't be over 35, you know, and, and, but she looks beaten by life. And when she's asked on direct, what did you, you know, why did you need this money? What, what did you do with the money that you got? And she breaks down saying, I bought more drugs Mm. and it's like, you know, there were times when Jane cried on the stand and some people, many people who were watching with me were moved by Jane's tears. I was less moved by it because she moved. She cried by places that you would expect it to be. It's like, you know, the very final question. The very final question, very final question, why are you here? It's if you can't make any money from this case, why are you here? And just sort of pause and cry and said, so to get justice. Okay, maybe that's true, yeah. maybe it's not. But it just seemed very convenient. this very end of your ending your testimony like that. Carolyn here is crying out a place that if I was writing this script, I wouldn't have said, I went, I've inserted, this is where you break down crying. It's almost like it's not a place that I, as a person who would who has watched dramas, normally see someone cry. That was what, I, and that's why I was like, this is a woman, she's not an actress. She's, an, she's a nobody. And she's crying as she's thinking about her life choices, mm. that she basically destroyed her own life to get more drugs and more drugs. And now she's filled with such deep regret that she can't help but cry about it. It's very moving. It's very powerful. Wow. And so the fourth girl. That was the third girl, Carolyn. Uh, okay, the third girl, so the, Carolyn.
0: and who's the fourth one then?
1: Um, the fourth one was Annie Farmer. Annie Farmer's story is um, that she basically met it, nothing, nothing as uh, illicit as what happened with the others. Meaning, she fortunately escaped without ever having to touch Jeffrey Epstein's genitalia. Mm. so she talks about how she visited her sister maria in new york maria was working for jeffrey maria never told her that she was being abused by jeffrey she was living out in arizona she flies out to new york to visit her sister she's excited about this trip to new york what made her story a little bit more compelling is that she kept a diary wow and in the diary, and she told over a story, which is then corroborated by the diary. Which when she's there, Jeffrey, she's introduced to Jeffrey, and Jeffrey takes her around to different places, and then takes into a movie, and he's sitting between Maria and and Annie Farmer, and that he just starts touching her hand and rubbing her hand and touching her foot and rubbing her, and playing with her foot, and she thinks it's really weird. And in her diary, she even wrote, "What was really strange to me is that whenever." he would turn to look at Maria, he would pull his hands away as, as if trying to hide it. If there's nothing, if it's innocent, you're not trying to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. She understood weird. even as a as a 16-year-old, as a if it's innocent, why are you trying to hide? Yeah. So clearly, you know it's not innocent. and And then that later on, she ends up after she goes back and she's like I don't want to tell Maria about it because I don't want to upset her. She idolizes Jeffrey and I don't want to and she's working for him. I don't want to upset her, so I'm just going to not tell anyone. So she basically left it like that in her diary going back all the way to 1997 or so. And she kept her diaries. Wow. And she kept she kept her diary. And then she has this trip to New Mexico which her mother is told, "Yeah, don't worry. That, you know, there's going to be tons of girls there." Yeah. tons of tons of kids and and Ghislaine is is you know my wife galen is gonna be chaperoning Ugh. and she gets there and it's just her and Jeffrey and galen and they take her shopping they buy some boots they bring they take her to another movie and this time he's touching her the same way and she notices that around Ghislaine, he doesn't try hiding it. Which reveals, you know, that yeah. he knows that Ghislaine is totally on board with this. That, that you know, they're all, they're all in cahoots together yeah. about this whole thing. And that when she gets back to the, to the ranch house, this here this ranch called Zorro Ranch. That when, which is really in the middle of nowhere. It's really like, in, she's like, there's no one around for like 50 miles. She's yeah. like, where are you going to run to? There's no one around. So she was, you know, she ended up being petrified there. She said it started with Ghislaine basically crouched down at Jeffrey's feet, grabs one foot and says, Annie, come here. You need to learn how to massage Jeffrey's feet. Now, she's here thinking that this is all a scholarship thing, that she's a special girl, that they like giving money and finances, helping kids with their education. And the next thing you know, she's being told by Ghislaine, you need to learn how to massage Jeffrey's feet, so she's being shown how to give this foot massage. And after they finish that, Annie says, you know, uh, Glane says, you know, Annie, I want to give you a massage. And she has her take off her clothes and lay down on a massage table. And Jeffrey's not in the room here, but she was cognizant of the fact that the door is open and that she felt as if he could look walk in at any time. And she gives her massage massages her back for a while and then turns her over and starts massaging her breasts. Which, by the way, this is, we keep hearing this thing that each of these girls described that at one time or another, Glane you know, was massaging their yeah, breasts.
0: That's, um, you're a man of moral rectitude. You're a very religious guy. And you're watching this trial. And you've seen it all because you're a New York litigator for crying out out loud. But, I mean, how did you keep from being entirely disgusted every day in that trial?
1: Uh, yeah, so when you first hear this stuff being told over, your first thought is just mm-hmm. like, Ew! Oh, oh no! And then, by the time they finish talking, like, and then like we'll go to like a break or something like that, I'll just like look at the person next to me because I'm sitting with a whole bunch of reporters, and I'll be like, "This is the most depressing thing in the world."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know that it's not. It's not. It's less about disgust. It's just. It's just awful. It's awful that you that this thing happened that this happened. And that you know that this is... We're hearing about one story out of hundreds of thousands... A hundred thousand stories. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how many of these incidents happen that we never hear about?
0: Well, I kind of want to know, that it is exactly... This is human trafficking. This is what it looks like. And uh, some of it, anyway. Prosecutors said their case would take six weeks. It took two, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Why is that? Is it because there was a lot of stuff that was thrown out?
1: So, as I mentioned earlier... Um, the only thing that really got thrown out was the schoolgirl costumes. The only, of all these girls who testified, I pretty much gave you a rundown of each of their stories. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, what about the artwork? I thought the art on the walls was also going to come in. Uh, You know, the Ghislaine Maxwell personally selected uh, little girl art. I mean, that did not happen.
1: I would have thought that would have come in. I did not see, I, so here's the problem. Because of lack of transparency, like there's certain things that were supposed to come in that theoretically could have come in that, there may have been oral arguments, there may have been arguments that we didn't even in the viewing room didn't hear. Whenever they would go to a sidebar, yeah. we wouldn't hear that. Right. So we, I did get to hear about the schoolgirl costumes. Mm-hmm. We heard testimony from Annie Farmer, uh, from sorry, excuse me, from Jane um, about the artwork there. How there was um, you know pictures of like like young you know barely barely past puberty girls pulling down their underwear. In the massage room, where they're giving their massages, like that's how they're they're giving the decor there. It's like this is you know almost like a training manual, but shown in art. So it's it's just um, and that everything there was just lots of nudity, lots of art, lots of animals. She described also. We also we did see video from the FBI raid of his house. Oh, you did, which happened. Yeah, so that they shared that we did see. So some um, of that
0: stuff came in. Some of it we saw. (laughs)
1: Yes. Now, to be fair, there also is stuff that could have come in that we did not see because there's some stuff that was blocked off, blacked off from us seeing that the jury did see.
0: Well, what, so, what the heck?
1: So what, what they would do is if they didn't want it to be on the record that people would be able to see certain things, they would black it off. From us, even the viewing audience, and the only ones who could see it. What they would say to the jury is if you turn, if you pull it out under your chair, there's a binder there. And if you, you go to exhibit JE3, you'll, you'll find this. Ex- please turn to page JE3. And they'll, they'll flip to it, and there are pictures there, stuff like that, that mm-hmm. they would not let us in the viewing audience. See, why? and that's part of the sealed records I, because that, because once it becomes part of the record, now it's something that the entire public is able to see. If it's part of a sealed record, they don't want anyone else to see it. Well, why they is were it so sealed? careful about What in was this? the
0: prevailing argument about why that crap was sealed? I mean, you know, like protect, a
1: lot of uh, to protect, protect dignity of victims in general. I see.
0: Okay, sometimes but... it was
1: protect Ghislaine Maxwell's, like there's a picture, you know, supposedly there's topless pictures of her at the pool that were sealed also, which you can understand that. That would make sense. Protect her dignity. There's no reason that has to be something that the whole world sees. Uh-huh. And i probably better off not seeing. Well, and,
0: well I mean, and, and, what about all the men that had sex protective. with these kids? Sorry? What about the men who had sex with these kids? Were they just talking about Jeffrey Epstein during this whole trial? Just
1: Jeffrey Epstein. Always. Okay. Always. Okay. We did not hear about any girls servicing anyone else anywhere in this trial. And that's a very frustrating thing. You know, and that's and that's really that that became the fixation here. It was purely Ghislaine trying to find girls for Jeffrey. Involvement of other people in any sort of illegal sexual conduct was never ever implied, stated, or in otherwise any evidence at all put in. Does that mean they were not engaging in that? Hell no, it doesn't mean that. Mm-hmm. Of course it doesn't mean that. What I will tell you is the, they did not want any names coming up. The only name that would came up more than once throughout this entire trial was Donald Trump. Of course. And I will tell you that the evidence they put forward with respect to Donald Trump is that basically he got on a plane from, from his own home in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, and flew up to New York on yeah. Jeffrey Epstein's plane. He went to
0: his New Jersey—he went to Bedminster, his, his uh, New Jersey golf course. Right. right. Yeah. So, to,
1: and well, they were flying, they were flying to Teterboro. They flew Teterburg, into Teterboro. Yeah, New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically, which is every time they came to New York, they flew into Teterboro, New Jersey. Right. So that is, and yet we hear about, you know, we hear Mar-a-Lago a lot, how Ghislaine would visit mar a because they had a spa there and that she would go there. And that's mm. where they and that's where they met Virginia Rob. That's where she met Virginia Roberts. Ah. Uh-huh. And plucked her out and said that John, Juan Alessi said, while I was driving around, I picked her up at Mar-a-Lago Mar- and all of a sudden she goes, John, stop. And I stopped the car. She gets out and she runs over and she's talking to, he's talking to this pretty, you know, 16 year old, you know, girl, blonde girl. And the next thing I know later that day, she's in the house. <laughs> so and that was Virginia. Oh, wow, wow. So, <laughs> so there you go.
0: Was she surprised that the jury found her guilty of five of the six charges?
1: I have no idea. I have no, I have no idea tell. what. I, I, well, first of all, she's wearing a mask the whole time. We can could, we could never see her facial expression. Mm-hmm. We can never see her facial expression at all. As it happens, my own personal saga is: I came running in there to catch because I, I. Forty-five seconds after Inner City Press tweeted out that a verdict is coming in, I went running in there, went through security, and I was like, you know what? Maybe I can make it into the jury room. Actually, be there when it happens. So I so I went to like a different elevator than normal, and I hit the button, and the next thing I know, I'm on the, I'm on the I'm on the uh, lobby floor. The thing the elevator goes down, two uh. floors to the basement, and the doors are locked and it doesn't open and the elevator got stuck there. I'm stuck in there for fifteen minutes. No. That's when I got up to the first floor of viewing room, I come up, I see all those reporters running. I was like, What's happening? They said, Glay Maxwell. So I said, Why are you coming this way? The view room's the other way. So the verdict is out. She's she so I was like, what was the verdict? They're like guilty on all counts except yes. charge too. Yeah, I'm like, are you stuck kidding in the me? Elevator. yeah, oh I literally gosh. was stuck in an elevator
0: oh I while, didn't while I this did. whole
1: thing while this whole uh, yeah I, I' spent three I spent uh, what a month. Going to court every day, uh, trying to just follow this thing. I get to a verdict and I'm stuck in an elevator, hey "bling, bling, help, get I, me the hell out of here." I
0: watched, I, I watched your uh, two of your videos from yesterday, and I didn't realize. I mean, I guess I didn't. It didn't connect. I didn't connect the dots. You were actually in the elevator, stuck there while the verdict was yes, being read. Okay, stuck so, in
1: an elevator while the verdict was. Well, being you got read. a story.
0: You got a story. So, and you got a story anyway because you sit, you saw. Almost all the trials. So here's my question. Then you mm-hmm. talked about, and I know we're closing in on an hour, and I appreciate your time. I know how valuable it is. Because no, it's my
1: it's my pleasure.
0: Thank you. Um, but I wanted to find out what what the charges actually meant.
1: Okay, all right. I think the charges are very important. It's going to take. It'll take me a good ten minutes to explain to you what the charges are and what and what the acquittal versus the five guilty counts really reflect that the jury decided. So, there's six charges. The, everyone should bear in mind, there's still two pending perjury charges against Ghislaine Maxwell. Those are for a different day. The, the judge agreed to sever those out and have a different trial about that altogether, which is going to come sometime down the road. There are six charges which were being addressed here. There are two charges under the what's called the Mann Act, which is 18 U.S.C. Uh, the Mann Act covers four different statutes, which is 18 or 5, 18 U.S.C. 2422 two, two, and 2423 are two different charges in the Mann Act. So, charge number two uh, is 2 four, a violation of 18 U.S.C. 2422, which is inducing a minor to cross state lines for the purposes of engaging in illegal sexual activity. So if you're inducing a minor, convincing her to do it, that is a violation of the Mann Act, Hmm. Section 2422. Section 2423. So that was charge number two. What's charge number one? Charge number one is conspiracy to do that. So you can be charged for the substantive crime or for conspiracy, which is that you're a conspirator. You're part of this whole plan to induce her to cross state lines. Okay. So that's charges one and two, and each of these charges work like that. There's three three substantive and three conspiracies. So three and four, number four is the main charge, and three is conspiracy to commit that. So number four, the main charge is 18 U.S.C. 2423. 2423 is not inducing a minor. It's actually transporting a minor across state lines for the purposes of engaging in in uh, illegal sexual activity. So that's charge four. And charge three is conspiracy to do charge four. You with me? Yep. You're making sense? Yeah. All right. The last one is 18 U.S.C. 1591. 1591, that's the sixth charge, is that you are using a product. You're using interstate commerce for the purpose of inducing A minor to engage in illegal sexual activity. So when you, so what we heard from Carolyn is she said that I got FedEx packages sent to me from New York to Florida. I was all excited, like, wow, I got something from New York. I used to be in, I used to live in New York, and now I'm getting something from New York. This is how simple she is. That she's all excited, something coming from New York. I mean, I understand she's seventh grade age, or she's fourteen, but even a fourteen year old, okay. So. (laughs) So, but she, but what, and what was in the package there? It was lingerie and like, and like tickets to like some concerts. Oh wow! So that's what she was all excited about. So they're basically saying that that Epstein, and and FedEx testified who sent that Epstein had an account that sent from Epstein's, on Epstein's account, to Carolyn's address, oh. a package. So we see this package coming there. Who sent it? Well, some of the packages on that thing it says sent by Jeffrey. Some says sent by Ghislaine. This was actually sent by Jeffrey, not Ghislaine. Wow. But she's considered aiding and abetting in this whole thing because she would be the one who would call Carolyn sometimes and say, hey, can you come by on Tuesday at 6 o'clock? So since she's part of that – Even though she's not involved in the interstate element of it, she's considered aiding and embedding in this interstate scheme of using interstate to induce a minor. And hence, she gets hit with that sixth charge. And the fifth charge is conspiracy to do to to perform that, to violate that statute. So those are the six charges, which is why it's very confusing to a lot of people. How does she get acquitted on the second one? of inducing, now let's remember, the second charge was inducing to cross state lines, and number four is actually transporting across state lines. So how do we get her, how do we come to a place that she's guilty, she's acquitted on, on charge two of inducing, but guilty on charge four? It's a little, it's a little weird how, how you get there. Mm-hmm. And in order, to, in order to understand this, you need to understand the instructions that were given by the judge to the jury and the judge was very careful to say what the jury could attach liability for for cuz these things are very overlapping there's a lot of confusion here it's very you have to really even to an attorney you have to walk it through very carefully you know unless there's something they do with this all the time <clears throat> Well, I Not someone who deals with this all the time. So, you know, I sat there. I literally had spent like a half hour trying to break down the differences between each of these charges so I could explain it mm-hmm. clearly and concisely. And, and, and now con- we've,
0: we've learned through this case as well as the Rittenhouse case as well as other cases and the Kim Potter case. You know, jury instructions really matter.
1: Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Very, yes, yes, yes. You cannot overstate the importance of a word or two in jury instructions, which is why attorneys fight over this really hard. And in the Kim Potter case, you you heard from that juror. They basically didn't understand their, their own damn jury instructions, and it's a shame. Unbelievable. but Travesty. Um, yeah so over here so just a, and, and that was and there was major fighting over here about the jury instructions there was major battles between the prosecution and the defense so when the judge is issuing instruction on charge number 2 this is this is where it gets really wonky okay so on charge number 2 she said you cannot convict on charge number 2 unless you say that she committed these activities as against that she induced a minor to cross state lines. The only victim you can consider is Jane, with respect to the periods of the years 1994 to 1997. Why 1994 1997? Because she turned 18. Yeah. So once she after she turns 18, you can't. So she said you can only because you can't consider Annie. You can't consider Kate. You can't consider Carolyn because none of them were induced. Were oh, <clears throat> there was a whole big fight that if you're crossing state lines, and by the time you this new state you come to the girl is over the age of consent, is that now a violation of the Mann Act, these these statutes or not? And this was a big fight between the prosecution and defense. For example, Annie Farmer, she's 16 years old. She crosses state lines from Arizona to New Mexico to Zorro Ranch. In New Mexico, the minimum age consent is sixteen. Oh. Now, her story there was that basically, you know, she gets massaged by Ghislaine and that Jeffrey Epstein jumped into her bed and tried and said it's snuggle time, and she basically slips away from oh. him, hides, locks herself in the bathroom, and, and and stays there until she feels it's safe to come out. So, you know, so the so the question here is. You know, they said this is not
0: normal. Anyone listening, this is not normal behavior. This is why this woman was on trial because she's a pedophile. Okay, keep going.
1: Yes, 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 and no. Let's let's put it this way: she is a pedophile. Yes. Yes. Now we can say it. Yes. Like she she is, um, you know, she's a pedophile. She's a pedophile. All right. The very at the very least, she she intentionally tried helping a pedophile. So to abuse girls whether she's found guilty of being pedophile she definitely we can say is a statement of fact that she helped a pedophile abuse young underage girls so the question here and this is so she said with respect to charge two you can only consider not you can only consider jane and only for this period of time that's it you can't consider carolyn you can't consider kate you can't consider any just jane during this period of time. With respect to Charge 4, you can only consider Jane. Again, the same period, 1994, 1997. But here's the thing. With respect to conspiracy to commit charge, no, number one, conspiracy to induce someone to violate, to cross state lines, you consider any girl, any time. So figure that, that out. That seems
0: weird. I mean, that's Fig- going to get tossed, don't you think, on appeal?
1: No, no. Because no, okay. I spent, uh, I, and here's the oh, thing. Oh, that's right.
0: You went, You went through it all.
1: Yeah, I, went, I started figuring, like, how does she come to this? It's so complex. This is really interesting to me. Like, philosophically, she, it's not like she's a crazy person, Nathan. She's a very smart woman, very smart judge, really smart judge. So I'm like, how does she come to this sort of thing? And that's why you need to understand what conspiracy actually means. And the difference between cons- what's the difference between conspiracy or being an aider and a better? This is a complicated legal issue, but it explains why it is that she can be found guilty of one and innocent of the other. Mm. So if I, the difference between aiding an abettor and, a better and con- being a conspirator boils down like this. If you and I decide we're going to do a crime, okay, and you decide that I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to run – gonna, we're going to rob bank together, Victoria, okay? Okay. So my role is I'm the lookout and I'm the driver. You are the one who goes inside and you – Hold up all the money, you do that thing, then we come running out, and I'm the lookout, and then I and I'm the driver. So I'm aiding you in this whole thing. You're doing most of the robbery as far as actually taking the money. I'm aiding and abetting you in this. Okay? <clears throat> We're also conspiring. There's two things happening at once. We made a plan here. Sometimes the plan is expressed, sometimes it's just implied, but there's there's a plan here and so we're conspiring, and I'm aiding and betting you in the commission of this crime. Or technically, you could say, you're aiding and betting me. So now, in order for me to be aiding and betting you, we have to actually commit the crime. Okay? Ah, gotcha. We have to actually okay. finish the crime. So you actually have to go in there and actually rob something. Let's say I hold the door. I'm serving as a lookout, okay? And you go in there, and you try, and, and you chicken out, right? Yeah, So we already started this whole process of doing a crime, but no crime actually ends up getting committed. Well, now I'm not aiding and abending in a crime because no crime was committed. So I'm not guilty of anything at this point. However, I am guilty of already conspiring. And once I conspire, we made a plan together, and you have conspiracy plus an overt act. Like I do something to serve as a lookout, like whatever. Let's say I I stand there and and I don't know I, I I I pull out some ex you know perfect binocular type of things or some camera type of thing that's able to monitor and serve as a lookout. That is now an overt act towards the furtherance of this illegal activity. Even if we don't end up committing the main crime, we have ready. we were guilty of conspiracy at that moment. So I can be found guilty of this conspiracy without being aiding and abetting because the crime was never completed. So that's why with Jane, Jane is the only one that there's any testimony that she crossed state lines. We see her on a plane. You can't get away from the fact that there's a flight log that shows her name on a plane when she's 16 years old. So yeah, that crime there is definitely as as, as far as her getting to that from... Florida to New York, that's not a crime unless, you know, the intent there is that it's for legal sexual activity. So now when we're looking at charge number two, we say, do we think if the jury doesn't believe Jane, they think she's a liar. She doesn't believe her whole story about the grooming and all that other stuff. Well, in that case, now Ghislaine didn't induce her to cross state lines. So that's why we'd say, okay, acquit on charge number two. Because she didn't do the whole grooming the way you made it, you exaggerated. Jane, the jury, you know, Jane was crossed for four hours, and she looked bad during certain points. So that crossed a lot of points. Of that cross. I thought she was decimated, and and so the ju- the jury didn't believe her. Okay, fine. Jury didn't believe her. Why would they find for conspiracy? Because Carolyn, I think they believed everything Carolyn said, and Carolyn said, "Hey, they asked me." Can I go with them to New York? Can I go with them to these different places? Can I leave the state with them? And I said, I'm too young. I'm only 14. And my mother's never going to let. That's what she said. Imagine imagine being told by your massage therapist, my mother's not going to (laughs) let. So the point here is what the jury could reasonably have found is that they were trying to induce Carolyn to cross state lines and they took steps in that, you know, they're asking her, pushing her, whatever, but they didn't succeed because Carolyn ended up never crossing state lines. So that's how the jury could have properly found that there is a violation on step one of a conspiracy, that she's part of a conspiracy to convince underage girls to cross state lines, and she failed. See yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. That's how I have guilt on, on, on the conspiracy charge, but not guilt on the on, on charge two, the substantive charge. So that if you say that we don't believe she's part of the whole grooming process, then when you come to charge two and three and four with the actual transports there, they must have believed and said, look, she crossed state lines. If they took her to New York, that was once she's there, there's testimony about Ghislaine being involved in the sexual activity up there in New York, um, you know, all these different things. So there you could say she's part of the whole transport. We also there was testimony from Jane that when she was coming back from New Mexico, she couldn't get on a plane because she was alone. It was a commercial flight. She's alone. She's too young. She's underage. She calls up Ghislaine. Ghislaine says, I'll fix this for you. So maybe they looked at her as being involved in the whole travel arrangements of getting these girls around from one place to another, even if she's not necessarily inducing. So that's how you can can understand how a jury can conclude that she's guilty. And if they believe everything Carolyn said, charge number six was all about Carolyn. And how, you know, the, the FedEx packages. So in that case, you can see how would, that's the, that's the most logical explanation as to why it is wow. the jury found the way they found guilt on, on charges one, three, four, five and six and acquittal on charge number two.
0: The uh, Jonathan Turley. Uh, this was a federal case, by the way, which is why yes. there's such a dearth of information, I think. And this is why I Correct. think some people are hearing what happened in this trial for the very first time from you, Joe Nierman. Uh the good logic uh, law guy or law guy over on YouTube. Yeah. Law tube. Um, and here's one thing. Hello. And here's one thing. One glaring issue says Jonathan Turley and the com- conviction is that Maxwell conspired to transport girls for sex, but beyond Epstein, none of the men who allegedly had sex with these girls have been prosecuted. It's akin to a prosecuting a getaway driver, but not the bank robbers.
1: Uh, you can't argue that. You can't argue. Or, I mean that's one way, that's one way of looking at it. I mean let's let's be fair here. She she was constantly creating a the testimony made clear, she's constantly creating a stream of girls to basically do underage girls do the sexual bidding of Jeffrey Epstein. So she's perhaps in a way serving as the pimp. Yeah. That she's finding these girls. and 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 encouraging them she's frequently referred to as the one who's supposed to make the situation safe these girls feel safe because there's an older woman here and they don't realize that that this older woman is the viper not the safety net so um so yeah she's she's the one who made everything kosher that's basically you know the phrase that 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 everyone takes away it's like she made everything kosher. She was the one who says this is what's natural and normal. That's what she's telling Kate. Isn't this great? Yeah. So disgusting. She, yeah, it was a terrible human being. Everyone, look, anyone had a soul was praying that this woman would be spent away for the rest of her life. Said- I was very proud of the fact that I correctly predicted that she would get convicted, not on all charges, but for more an excess of two decades, and that's that's what she's looking at now. The charges that, that she's guilty of have each have a, on number four and six are each a minimum of ten years minimum 10 years and maximum of life and then you have the conspiracy charge for number one so we're looking at her getting anywhere between 25 years to life
0: wow 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 she'll probably go serve it at club fed somewhere
1: probably, very likely very very look that's that would not surprise me what about there's not a, that that's a whole issue that's not a whole other issue you can raise with our criminal justice system
0: Or you you, you can also raise the the issue of how long do you think she'll live in that federal lockup, considering that, you know, uh, Jeffrey Epstein didn't hang himself either.
1: So I ask myself that question a lot. You can ask how she made it all the way to trial. Maybe it's just like maybe there's so much pub about Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself that they're just wary. The powers that be are just wary that, hey, if we push this envelope too often, the public will be demanding demanding that there's investigations into what the hell is happening here so maybe maybe the whole that that's one thing everyone that became the meme that will never die right Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself right so right. more than any other meme that I can remember, this one just keeps going. My, I have a fantasy football team that's called that's named that from – I made two years ago called Jeffrey Epstein Didn't Kill Himself. And I'm going to the Super Bowl this week in my fantasy. It's still called Jeffrey Epstein Didn't Kill Himself. That's long before I cared about the Maxwell trial. Yeah. It was, that's what's really funny. But, um, yeah, it's – a. It's, and by the way, my, the, my cover logo is a picture of uh, – from Daryl Hammond imitating Bill Clinton sitting sitting in bed with two thumbs up. <laughs> so, oh, on um, your on
0: your YouTube channel, my Jeffri- Good logic?
1: No, my, my my Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's so um, yeah. The the bottom line here is it is very unfortunate that we can't seem to go after these men. And yes, the public is demanding it. And the 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 right. two uh, the people the names are people. Some people are protected from on high or they are the protections from on high. Well, you know I mean, what? If I mean,
0: makes you wonder.
1: People, the only one who seems not subject to that is Donald Trump.
0: No, oh, I don't. Yeah.
1: Everyone loves going after Donald Trump. Right. But anyone else? Anyone else? It's like now the, the the upper elites. And I think it's on both. I think it's on both sides of the aisle. I don't think yeah. it's left or right. I think on both sides of the aisle. I think they're all that swamp is so deep. We have no idea.
0: Yeah, it sounds repulsive and disgusting. People need to go to prison, I expect. Yes, yes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs. And it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to one Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by R.C. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, Mischief Managed. Rise up. Right.